This is the TechEU Podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories from the European tech scene. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasting fix these days. Well, all right, all right, all right, you have found it. This is the TechEU Podcast. I am your host, Dan Taylor. And we are the droids you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another stellar episode of the TechEU podcast. We're going round two with this one due to, well, I'll be honest, a technical error on my part. Yes, it does happen every millennia or so. Millennia? Millennium? Millennia. Millennia or so. Let's say decade. It happens every decade or so. Uh, I do make a technical error, and the gentleman who's joining me today is an absolute saint. I think he deserves an award uh, because, well, at the time of this recording for me, it's 8.30 in the morning, which means it's 9.30 in the morning for him. Is that right? I think he's shaking. He said, yes, it's 9.30 in the morning. Either way, it's fucking early, folks, and we're going to do this again. He's been been, uh, uh, gracious enough to join me. So enough of that. Let's get into it. This gentleman is the CEO and co-founder of a company that is partnered with industry titans, including Apple, SAP, and Samsung, some minor companies you might have heard of, and it's in use by five of the top 10 Fortune 500 companies. The company I'm speaking about, of course, is Scandit, and they make smart data capture, they are a smart data capture platform that can turn any device, phone, drones, eyewear, and on and on and on, into a device that allows employees and customers to digitally interact with physical objects. I'm joined today by Dr. Samuel Mueller. Samuel? Good morning, Dan. Hi. How did I do with the intro? Did I get that right? Is that what Scandit does? You can take anything and turn it into a smart object that an employee can use to do cool stuff. An employee and a consumer, if I'm right. Spot on, Dan. Well, okay, great. We're done. This has been the show, folks, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, well, let's roll things back a little bit. Doing my research, I took a look at the company history. Your build is this mobile computer vision and augmented reality thing. Was this always the case from the start? I mean, give, give me a little bit of the, the, the backstory about how Scandic came to be and where it is now. Sure. Um, well, we've always had this vision of connecting people with everyday things around them to help them really make people's lives easier like when interacting with daily stuff, like the groceries that you buy on a weekly uh, or buy on Mm. a weekly basis, you consume Mm. on a daily basis, right? The furniture you're sitting on, all the things you interact with or you see, you you touch on a very regular basis. Um, At the time when we started um, coming up with this thinking, the internet had already happened. and there was this big idea of the Internet of Things, which up to that point was largely focused on tracking the temperature and the whereabouts of shipping containers as part of global mm. trade lanes and things mm-hmm. like that. And so we took some inspiration on that front and wondered what would it take to take some of those principles but apply them to all these fast-moving consumer goods, these everyday items that I just mentioned. Right. Initially, Um, The thinking was, as was popular in those days, so that's about 15 years back, when we were still academics um, at ETH Zurich and and MIT. Um, So at that time, the thinking was, well, let's let's take RFID, radio frequency identification technology, 
as the um, technology as the means of establishing those interactions. Now, we quickly realized as we started to look into that, and uh, we did so uh, uh, with, with other research colleagues, um, that RFID was well neither going to be widely deployed enough, cost-effective enough, at the level of standardization in, in any meaningful or reasonable time frame so that this vision could be mm. enabled with RFID mm -hmm. technology. Instead, and in parallel, we realized and quickly observed that there was another much more powerful and, and really ubiquitous technology emerging, which was um, cameras. Mm -hmm cameras that at the time could be found as part of camera phones. They weren't called smartphones sure, yet. Sure. In those days, they had 240 by 320 pixels, no autofocus and so on. But it was clear that it wouldn't be a long time until people, every one of us would be carrying those in their yeah. pockets yeah. every day, right? And that was already starting to happen. It was clear these things were going to be much more powerful going forward. And so we started to look at leveraging those cameras on those camera phones as the key to enabling those interactions with everyday things and by doing so giving somehow superpower like capabilities to consumers or employees um, so they could identify what grocery product they're staring at through the lens of that camera phone and then smartphone and from there, start to retrieve and access very easily in a very seamless manner relevant product information to make better buying decisions, to um, support day-to-day -day processes like inventory checks and so on, or just pay by just looking at something right away. Correct me if I'm wrong, if I, if I remember from our last conversation, making the bridge from computer vision to a product is, is quite the leap. And you and your team quickly realized, hey, wait a second, practically every item in the world has this little thing called a barcode on it. So how does that Absolutely. work? I mean, you, you used, so instead of, is, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, instead of recognizing the object, you first started with, okay, let's recognize the barcode, and then we can in, interpolate all the data from that. That's absolutely correct. So when we realized that RFID wasn't going to happen at the scale and ubiquity or ubiquitous nature that we were hoping for and started to zoom in on camera-enabled recognition and, and, and camera-based recognition, we also quickly realized that generic object recognition is really, <laughs> really hard. And so we started to, as, as you would do with an engineering or more academic or scientific approach, you start to decompose mm. the problem. And we looked at, okay, what's already out there? How can we simplify the product, the problem of identifying mm. an object? in the first place. And so we looked at more narrow image recognition um, aspects. We look at various ways of identifying a thing, and we quickly realized that there was this thing, the barcode, that already was widely deployed, really kind of the backbone of commercial activity, right, and remains so today. Most fast-moving consumer products are barcoded. There is a universal interpretation of what a barcode number stands for. So a Coke, in theory, a can of Coke in a certain serving size, in theory, carries the same barcode worldwide. And so that allows you to scan that barcode number and know what you're looking at now is a can of Coke. Now, you may not know which exact can of Coke mm -hmm. you're looking at, but at least you know this mm -hmm. is a can of Coke. And that's how we got going. So we quickly realized, okay, 
these barcodes, they're actually pretty useful to make a very big step towards this overarching vision that I talked to just mm. beforehand. And then we needed to um, also look at ways to create value for a relevant customer right. segment, right? And when we started out, we found that segment, and that's back in a 2010, 11, 12 timeframe. So uh, the iPhone had only just happened. The, the app economy was emerging. And so we looked at uh, the developers of um, mobile consumer apps that would allow to do things like mobile price comparison, smart shopping list creation, checking for ingredients, and so on. And so while there was this mobile app gold rush happening, we started to supply the barcode scanning shovels mm. to all these app developers so they could enable their end users with a neatly integrated experience that would allow their end users, their, their consumers that downloaded the app to easily scan products on a shelf in a physical store environment, look, look up competitive for better pricing, um, uh, check for ingredients. So really empower them. And from there, that then really kicked off an avalanche of different market segments that became ready over time. So from these independent consumer apps, retailers came awake and realized, well, if there are all these successful mobile price comparison apps and shopping apps happening now, well, wouldn't it be a good idea if we also had our own branded apps to really own those mm. destinations, not just mm -hmm. on the websites and the web properties, but also in the mobile app economy? And so clearly, uh, pretty much every single brand on this planet started to build mobile app endpoints that would also then start to incorporate barcode scanning and related data capture capabilities that we were fortunate enough to uh, be able to offer and supply. And that's how we started that journey. I didn't realize this the first time we spoke. You know, you talked about supplying the shovels. Was the initial play for Scanda to be an SDK? And and if so, like, when did you say, hey, wait a minute, why, why are we supplying shovels? Why don't we just build the whole mechanism? Well, in fact, this remains the approach. So Scandit's smart data capture platform is essentially, to a large extent, a set of SDKs and APIs that we make accessible to our enterprise customers in retail, logistics, and other verticals worldwide, whose internal IT teams or system integrator partners or our joint ISV partners then take and incorporate either into already existing mobile applications or combinations of cloud apps and mobile applications, or they build new applications, bespoke applications, not, not mm. from scratch, but on the basis of these SDKs APIs, along with a, um, a set of mobile application blueprints that we provide as well. So we mm. provide for the typical business processes in retail or smart data capture problems, we not only provide the actual decoding layer, but then relevant UX, UI components. We provide relevant business logic to seamlessly merge the step of recognizing the product to then efficiently serving up relevant information in augmented reality type fashion or with cleverly aligned uh, what we call UX metaphors. So really guiding the user in a very neat and, and seamless manner, but then also how to incorporate in integration with existing system of records. So your SAP, your NetSuite, your Oracle platforms that are so widely deployed within our 
customer um, organizations. Okay, well, great. So, so instead of, uh, and I would imagine this this rapidly speeds up uh, time to market. No, not only that, it also guarantees success and quality, right? So, because the platform we provide incorporates all these best practices that are very easy to then deploy and leverage, as opposed to making the same mistakes that that hundreds of others have made beforehand. So that's a big value that comes from utilizing and building on our platform as well. Sure. Why reinvent the wheel when the best wheel has already been invented? Right. Samuel, I'll tell you what, we are coming up on the halfway mark. It means it's time for the lightning round. Wonderful. I look forward to it. So folks, if you don't know what the lightning round is, the lightning round, I am going to ask Samuel a series of rapid fire questions, which hopefully he's going to answer as succinctly as possible. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the company, but everything to do with him. Let's get to know him as a person. Samuel, are you ready? I would hope to think so. <laughs> I would hope to think so. All right. Lightning round question number one for Dr. Samuel Mueller. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Have you ever jumped out of an airplane? I have not. Boo. Jazz or classical? Jazz music. Your favorite weekend activity? Anything that can be done on a mountain. Chocolate, Swiss or Belgian? Clearly, I'm very biased and heavily influenced, so I'll go with Swiss. And there it is. He's going with Swiss chocolate. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Lightning Round with Samuel Mueller. We've got a couple sponsorship messages. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Non-scientific studies have shown that earball advertising is three halves more effective than either video or print. Which means, if you're listening to this podcast, your customers are too. Talk to us at podcast at tech.eu. And we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining me, which I know you're not, we're sitting down today with Dr. Samuel Mueller. He's told me not to address him as doctor, but in my opinion, anybody that spends that amount of time in school and gets a PhD deserves to be called doctor, at least once, twice, or three times during a podcast. Before the break, we were talking about Scandit, the origins, what it does, how it supports businesses, and why, if you're running a company and not using it, you should be. Samuel, I wanted to address, because this is something, you know, as, as a tech EU focused on the EU market, we see time and time again, even if companies start here in the EU, they're bound for North America sooner than later. Tell me about Switzerland, as beautiful as a country it is. I've been there. I've done some skiing there. I've eaten some chocolate there. It's uh, a great place to be, but may maybe not the biggest commercial market. Yeah, indeed. I mean, as you say, we quickly realized that with roughly 8 million inhabitants, Switzerland isn't the largest market to go after early on, right? So when we when we started out, and again, that was back in roughly 2010 and subsequent years as we were perfecting the tech and then starting to really figure out our go-to-market. Um, well, at that time, there wasn't an obvious go-to-market, global go-to-market leader in this space. There were a couple of sort of alternative little plays, but nothing, nothing significant. Mm. Um, also, um, we, we looked at the available markets to go after, right? We looked at obvious choices like Germany, neighboring country, the UK, and so on, right? Sort of the big, big European markets, but also the US. And we quickly realized that while, of course, the idea of tackling maybe the US or North American market head on first may seem a little daunting, um, it also seemed that the sort of 
cost benefit type ratio was just really attractive. So we, it seemed, well, it's about equally complex to tackle the UK market and figure out all the specific aspects of that than going after the US, which is just several times larger and, and more homogeneous, right? And that's, mm. that's what we did, right? So we didn't think too much about that at first, but sort of set our eyes on that market initially, um, uh, sort of launched through a combination of a standalone mobile price comparison application, really as a kind of dual focus, bit of a demonstrator of the technology at first, but also with some hidden hopes that this by itself could become a successful play um, as well. And um, as we launched this mobile application, we also um, um, put in there many hints um, that would make it clear to other developers, other potential users of our platform, that uh, what we do can be licensed. And that's, mm. so that's that's mm -hmm. how we got going. And mm -hmm. as I alluded to previously, we then started to understand, well, who do we need to focus on first? So we really tried to very clearly define the target market segments to go after. So again, starting with this independent app developers that have a, a high frequent scanning need, typically in the retail uh, domain. Um, so started to serve these. From there, moved to um, consumer-facing mobile applications that were built by some of the large retail brands across North America. From there, started to move more into the operations, processes, and use cases. And so really, sort of really mapped out our journey through that market with a clear view on where can we add value at, at any given time with the product and the relative maturity and performance that 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 we were able to deliver at that point and so try to make very conscious choices as to where to go next how to um, address uh, the needs of and and get the attention of the relevant decision makers to build relationships and, and learn about the market as much as we could so that's in a nutshell how we've been doing it so no rocket science so i'd say pretty <laughs> pretty much following a textbook recipe but then of course that the real world and the real really doing it is messy inherently mm. right mm. so what sounds like a very clearly phased process of course takes a lot of sort of try and error two steps forward one step back and so on to finally arrive at a good result coming from the country which is famously known for engineering the finest timepieces in the world i i would imagine you would have exact marching orders were there any how should i say oh shit moments and if so how did you course correct? Clearly, over uh, more of a ten-year entrepreneurial journey and 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 scaling up uh, phase, uh, many 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 things go wrong, <laughs> and there are many opportunities that you would love to go back to and say, "Well, if we could do that a little differently." Mm. So these these moments exist clearly. Um, um, I, I I think we've been spared mostly the the big oh shit moments. Maybe I'll touch on one briefly, um, but uh, just some examples of things that I, uh, we clearly could have done better with, right? Like first, being even more systematic about what I just spoke to beforehand, mm -hmm. right? Which market segments to go after? How mature are these? Are they ready for what we're doing? Being even more targeted in, in our message, in our approach, clearly uh, we could have executed better on that one. Um, then 
the second thing that comes to mind to be much more thoughtful, systematic, and and conscious on how we align with and integrate with relevant go-to-market partners earlier mm -hmm. on. I think that was a bit of a haphazard, sometimes a bit of a random approach. Uh, it worked out just fine. And again, through trial and error, we, we found our way there, but certainly could have done better. Um, then uh, raising money sooner, bringing on top talent, especially on the go-to-market side, even sooner, I think could have helped us. Um, and then last one, I think as an oh shit moment, I think that that's probably true for many, many people around the world. I mean, I think when the pandemic happened um, a bit more than well, at this point, two and a half years ago, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we were, we were, most people were like, okay, well, you're reading up the news. You're not really, you cannot really imagine what this could lead to, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, of course, the, all the health-related um, perils and, and, and issues that this triggered, I think it was really hard to really uh, take that on mentally and, 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 and conclude the right steps. And then as in specific locations where we also have business efforts, it was clear that things like shutdowns were starting to happen. I mean, it was initially very hard to imagine that something like more than a week shutdown could even happen and anything could continue to work, right? But then really rapidly going into a, a, a cycle of understanding the implications of what this is going to mean for the key market segments that we serve, how we can better serve our customers, how we can make a positive contribution to what's going on around the world. and. I think you, um, uh, uh, you know, we've been able to support various pand pandemic-related initiatives um, and support various governments with uh, pandemic response as well. So figuring these things out really at rocket speed, that was certainly, I mean, it was a positive reaction to, again, maybe an O-shit moment, as you call it. Right, right, right. Well, that actually leads me perfectly into how was Scandit used to... Well, quite frankly, keep a bunch of us alive. One great example of how we've been able to make a positive impact in this challenging time was uh, the um, national contract we've been able to uh, put in place with uh, NHS in the UK to really provide data capture services as part of um, uh, the UK's um, uh, COVID response and really become a backbone of that. Uh, so the focus here was on... Um, uh, enabling and uh, making test tracking more seamless, also helping to track personal protective equipment or uh, uh, deliver improved patient care. Where um, uh, Scandit's technology is being used to this day uh, across all fixed and mobile test centers, um, is enabling uh, home testing um, uh, uh, both uh, at schools uh, as well as in people's homes. Um, and um, uh, uh, it, by doing so, enables safe and contact, contactless way of um, um, interacting with test um, um, uh, tube vials, um, mm -hmm. helps identify uh, patients or suspected uh, patients uh, in a safe manner. So in the early phase of um, the pandemic, it was important to be able to, for example, scan um, ID document through windshields in drive-in test centers. Mm, so people right. will be able to drive in, hold up their passport or their ID card on the window. And then um, uh, medical personnel was able to use and utilize their own smartphones where we provided support that mobile apps could be enabled on these smartphones to then mm. scan patient IDs 
through the windshield in a first phase as people would be registered on test sites. And from there on, this information would be married up with the actual tests, right? So the the, the vial that contains the um, um, uh, the test set or the, the, the probe, and, and all this information is from there on tracked all the way to communicating a, a positive or negative result. So that's an example of what we've been enabling uh, by making it possible to utilize smartphone, smartphone-based technology and mobile apps across the board. And of course, these mobile apps are then also accessible as part of the uh, personal at home testing procedures where people just download a mobile app onto their own phones, right? They mm. clearly would not have been possible to utilize dedicated scanning <laughs> devices of sorts in people's homes, right? Sure. So a really great um, um, opportunity for us to, to help out there and uh, spin up uh, these uh, test infrastructures really quickly and, and help ensure um, safe um, a, a more safe environment. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Samuel, listen, we are running out of time. Do you have any final thoughts you want to impart to our listeners? I'd like to thank for listening. Thanks, Dan, for having me. And uh, it's been great to be on the show twice. Maybe <laughs> let's not do it a third time. And <laughs> I was just going to say, I think you might be our only two-time guest. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been it for our podcast with Dr. Samuel Mueller. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. We are out of time. My name is Dan Taylor. Yours is not... And I am out of here. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu and they will most certainly be ignored. <laughs>